Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Fantastic. Hey, today, if I could, I'd love to share uh, what I believe is a, a pretty simple a pretty simple thought. What I believe is uh, it's not that complex. It's not that uh, you know, advanced. And yet, as I think about it myself and I ponder it myself, I'm like, oh, yeah, why don't I just do this then? You know what I mean? Like sometimes in life, the things that are right to do, the things that just make perfect sense are still hard to actually follow through on. Anyone else feel that way? We've been in a a series of messages around this topic of tomorrow, and so today I want to share another message on the topic of tomorrow, but before I do, I'd love to pray. Jesus, we uh, we give you this time. I pray that you'd help our hearts not be distracted, help our minds not wander to other things, help us to not uh, jump to conclusions and to make assumptions and to miss the simple truth that you're trying to speak to us today. I pray that every heart in the place would be Uh, leaned into you and bent towards you and ready to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Can we give it up for Letitia this morning? Man, I'm just just in a give it up for people mood today. Giving it up for people. Fantastic. Hey, if you're taking notes today as we we continue on this theme of tomorrow, today very simply, uh, I want to share a simple message, but it does have two titles, okay? Simple message, but double titles. First, first title, if you're taking notes, write this down. There's no time like tomorrow. There's no time like tomorrow. There's no time like tomorrow. And second title, I kind of like the second one better. Frogs till manana. Okay? If you're taking notes, write that down. Frogs till manana. Frogs till manana. In the book of Exodus, chapter 8, someone you're like, I thought I was better at English, but as I read that, that makes no sense. It will in a sec. Here we go. Exodus chapter 8, uh, Moses is in Egypt, and Moses' job sent by God is to see the people of Egypt set free, brought out of captivity. And not only is he seeing them freed, but God is making a spectacle in the nation of Egypt that he is the only God. It's a a spectacle of his power, a spectacle of his preeminence. He's going head to head with the pantheon of Egyptian gods and proving that he is the one and only. Now, now in Egypt, there was this anxiety-ridden frenzy around making sure you pleased all the right gods in all the right order. And there were gods for everything. Gods for for sun, gods for harvest, gods for water, gods for tide. It was it was everything. God of the Nile. There was even like a god of lice. Could you imagine? Here we are, guys, worshiping the god of lice. Everyone get your fingers out. Let's scratch together. Gods of everything. And the thought was, if we if we please the gods just the right way that they want to be pleased, then maybe the gods won't be angry with us and we can manage to navigate through life without the intervention of angry beings. And then enters Moses, and Moses says, Pharaoh, I just want you to know, like, the God, the only God, is saying that his people need to go. 
and, uh, and, and be set free out of slavery. And, and Pharaoh says, no, not going to happen. He hardens his heart, the Bible says. And, and so Moses says, okay, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. Until you let the people go, I'm going to keep on, like, presenting options to you. Either let the pe- people of God go or else, like, the Nile River that you rely on for everything is going to turn to blood. And Pharaoh's like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And Moses says, all right, well, warned you. And all of a sudden, the Nile actually turns to blood. And Pharaoh's like, "Uh uh-oh, this is not good. Not good scenario, our entire livelihood. And he's thinking, we must have made the God of the Nile angry. And and so he says, Moses, like, please stop this. I'll do anything. So Moses prays, and the Nile is no longer blood. And then the Bible says this, and then Pharaoh's heart hardened again. And he said, I'm not going to let God's people go. And then it comes to this plague, a, a, a plague, kind of humorous, a plague of frogs. And, and Moses says this, and let you let, unless you let God people go, there is going to be frogs in the land tomorrow. And the, the land will be full of frogs. Every household will be full of frogs. Like the bread you eat will be full of frogs. Your BLT sandwich will become an FBLT sandwich. You are going to have frogs in everything. Frogs in your beds, frogs in your homes, frogs in the streets. Everybody said ribbit. Frogs everywhere. Like, like Kermits on Kermits on Kermits on Kermits on Kermits, okay? Frogs! And, and Pharaoh says, no, nah, it's not going to happen. And so sure enough, as God promised, it happens. And Pharaoh's thinking, oh, we made the frog god angry. And, and maybe this god is, is more powerful than the frog god. And, and Moses comes to, to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, you've got to make these frogs go away. Funny thing was this, he said to his magicians, can you guys make frogs happen? And by their divination and power, they made frogs appear. He's like, no, 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 I didn't want more frogs. I want less frogs. They're like, yeah, we don't know how to get rid of them. We just know how to attract more of them. And so he says, Moses, I need you to pray. Obviously, your God is preeminent. Obviously, the God, like what you're tapped into is a whole nother level. I need you to pray and, and, and make this thing stop. And so Moses says to Pharaoh in uh, Exodus chapter 8, I, I read this and it just kind of grips me. Moses says to Pharaoh this simple statement. He says, uh, Pharaoh says, pray to the Lord to take these frogs away from me and my people, and then I'll let you go. Moses says to Pharaoh, I will leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and to pray for your officials and to pray for your people that you and your houses may be rid of all the frogs. And then Pharaoh answers, ready for it? Big answer, tomorrow. And Moses says, it'll be as you say. Now that to me is crazy. God gives him the honor of establishing timelines, of establishing essentially like the terms of uh, engagement, how he would receive from God. And, and Pharaoh's response is, tomorrow? He goes, we'll, we'll, we'll have frogs till manana. We'll wait till tomorrow. Why was his answer not ASAP? Why would it not be like, I want to get rid of these frogs yesterday? Can you do it right here, right now? But for some reason, the the human tendency that Pharaoh displayed in that moment was, tomorrow sounds pretty good. Do you got any procrastinators in the house? Some people are like, I'll think about it, I'll answer tomorrow, get back to me. Like how many people you say, I put the pro in procrastinator? Like I'm, I'm a whole nother level of procrastinators. How many people, maybe it's easier question, is how many people are not procrastinators? You are not a procrastinator. You're like, I, that stresses me out to even think about it. Hand up high, come on. Come on. Here, here's the, 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 the amazing thing is that for people who procrastinate, we, we can tend to look at those of you who don't and think, wow, so much anxiety. Unbelievable. Stress. Worry. 
Like why you're the crazy thing is that the procrastination it stems from an anxiety all of its own. It's its own set of anxieties. Procrastination is its own set of anxious thoughts. It's a, it's a fear around beginning and ending things. It's a fear around not maybe being able to execute things to the highest of our abilities, so we put off beginning because we have this like imminent thought around failure. I was doing some reading, some study on procrastination. There's essentially four different like motivators or four different types of procrastinating. And today I want to speak simply to the procrastinators in the house. Simply to the, and you're like, oh, well, this one's not for me because I'm a, I'm a list person. I get my job done. I think that you're going to see some tendencies that can happen for you in this as well. Four types of procrastinators. First one is what I spoke to, anxiety. Anxiety around starting and finishing. And, and so we busy ourselves with other things so we don't have to think about the thing that we really need to do. And in the end, we end up so busy because we put everything off that now we have to do things last minute and we have this excuse why it didn't get done well because we're just so busy. Often people who are busy people are procrastinating people. Can I get a witness in the room? Anxiety around starting and finishing things so we distract ourselves with other things. Second group of procrastinators, different motivator. Maybe at the root there's some anxiety in it as well, but this second group of procrastinators are simply called fun procrastinators. Why would I do something I don't want to do when there are things that I do want to do right now? There's certainly more fun things I could be doing than that disciplined area of my life that I know I ought to do, and so I'm going to do the thing I want to do. Any fun procrastinators in the room? Yeah, I mean, you're like, why would I, I get to that? I'll get to it later because right now there's stuff happening. These people usually suffer with, with FOMO. Like, why, I, I might miss out something fun while I'm doing something lame. I remember I, I, I lived one year in dorms before, uh, before Jennifer and I got, I got married in college. I lived in dorms for one year. And during that year, I was, I was a fun procrastinator. Like, like, as the evening was going on, I'm like, I wonder what people are doing. Like, I was the guy who would just kind of wander the halls and be like, I wonder if there's anyone, like, making ramen or something. Be like, pop in, hey, guys, how's it going? Oh, I see you're playing NHL 97 on your PC. You know, want to play together? Like, like, and then when there was nothing else to do, but I guess it's time to get some work done, then I would, I'd do the things that I needed to do. Any, any fun procrastinators in the room? Like, like, there's things you know you should do on the weekend. You're like, I, I got this list of things that I've been keeping in my mind, but then the weekend comes, you're like, there's fun things to do. So next group of people, different type of procrastinator is the plenty of time procrastinators. There's plenty of time. That's what, like, I'll do these three quick things, and then I got plenty of time to get to the rest. Like a, a, a group of people who overestimate or underestimate, I should say, how long everything takes. Like, oh, this will be like 20 minutes, no problem. And then like seven hours and three Red Bulls later, like, yeah, just getting into it, you know, a couple more hours to go. It, like always kind of underestimating how much time and effort it actually takes to get some things done. We have any plenty of time procrastinators in the room. Like you find a way, you've got one hour and you just planned four things to get done in that hour and instead you do none of them because you realize you wouldn't be able to finish any of them. Plenty of time procrastinators. And then lastly, there's a group of people who their perfectionism is, or their, their procrastination is, is linked to perfectionism. The thought of I, like I'm going to keep on putting off finishing because I could tweak it a little better and make it a little bit better. Like, like I don't actually have to be done. The deadline isn't actually there yet. And what if by thinking about it more and putting in more work, I could get it from that 99.9 that it's at now to 100. Maybe I could get a bonus point out of this thing. And they keep on thinking it's not good enough for me. It's good enough for others, but not good enough for me. And so they continually push things off. Am I speaking to anyone in the house? The crazy thing is 
whether you are, are relentless in your procrastination or, or you're so adamantly opposed to it that you're now doing tasks that never have a deadline, like I'm doing things that I might have to do six years from now so I don't have to worry about them then. That's called borrowing from tomorrow. We talked about that last week. You should go listen to that message. You're like, I can't. I'm too busy doing things I have to do next week. I don't have time. No, go back and listen to it. Because, because I, I'm challenging us. Let's be ridiculously present. Like let's be over the top present this year. Actually living each day for what it has for us. Actually embracing each day. Let's not be like Pharaoh and put up with things that could be dealt with today and say, oh, we'll, we'll get to it tomorrow. Frogs till manana. How crazy. He has frogs in his house, and he's pacing through his, 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 his uh, mansion, and there's people going like, Pharaoh, when's this going to end? He goes, don't worry, guys, it's ending tomorrow. I'm like, how do you know? Oh, because Moses said I could pick when it ends. I picked tomorrow. Why did you not pick today? Oh, I, I don't know. I didn't think of it. Like living in tomorrow land. Let's be ridiculously present. Let, let's deal with the things we need to deal with today so that tomorrow we can wake up and deal with the, are you with me? Like, let's, let's be present this year. Here's the crazy reason why. If you needed more motivation, let me give it to you right now. Exodus chapter 9 comes around. In Exodus chapter 9, there's already been a few more plagues. And, and in the, the course of that, uh, God has, has proven himself now to a point where Pharaoh has no question that God is more powerful. He just still has a hard heart. And it's crazy if you, you read through the plagues, you're like, why does it take him so long to learn a simple lesson? And then you look at yourself in the mirror like, oh, right, because human. <laughs> are you with me? And, and here you are, like 2020, I thought, like, I remember cutting up these credit cards before, and here I am again. Oh, because sometimes if we don't deal with things now, we end up dealing with the same things later. Are you with me? And here's what happens, Exodus chapter 9, there's been a few more plagues, and repeatedly, it continually, Pharaoh says to Moses, make it stop, and then I'll let you go, and Moses says, all right, and then it stops, and Pharaoh goes, eh, eh, doesn't feel as urgent anymore, hardens his heart. And we come to Exodus chapter 9, there's now this plague where God says, because you haven't let my people go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe out some of your livestock. Like, you're going to see this distinction where the livestock of those who, who don't trust me, you're going to come out like your cows are going to be dead. But people who trust me, they won't. Like, I just want to make it really clear that I know the intentions and the thoughts in your heart. Like, I'm actually an all-knowing God and an all-powerful God. And, I, like, I could not make this more clear for you. I want you to get it that there's only one, and, and I am revealing my power to you, but I'm also revealing my goodness at the same time. And then the Bible says this, Exodus chapter 9. Check this out. I read this uh, uh, about a week ago, and it gripped me, and it kind of scared me, and it made me realize, man, we got power in the decisions we make. Exodus chapter 9, it says this, verse 5, then the Lord set a time and said, tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. So, so like a few days prior, God says to Pharaoh, I'm going to give you this honor. You choose how we will interact together. You set the rule, and then some days pass, and God's like, oh, no, I'll set the time tomorrow. And God lives within this set of rules that Pharaoh sets out. How crazy that you and I make decisions that then shape our future. We make decisions about how we deal with things that shape the way our future will unfold. We make decisions the way we interact with people. And if we're putting off the inevitable with people, then we find, have you ever found this? People start giving you a different, a different deadline. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 we're starting at 9. And they look at everyone and say, we're starting at 10. <laughs> 
We just have to say that for him because he's always late. Why? You set that rule. You said it. You know, well, don't treat me like that. You said it. You said it. You, you said this is how I want to function. And do you think it's possible that the same happens with God? That we say and imply to God, God, you are my last resort. When all else fails, I guess I'll turn to you. Instead of saying, God, you're my first response. So you're like, oh, man. Have you ever been around that person? They think to pray all the time. And it's almost exhausting that you're like, oh, I got a bit of a headache. They're like, can I pray with you right now? You're like, I just want Tylenol. I No, 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 no. And you give reasons. You're like, no, no. I was just up too late last night. As if that's a reason not to pray. Oh, no, no, no. I just haven't drank enough water. No, no. Save your prayer. It's okay. Wouldn't want to worry God. And we start treating God this way. And we, we say, no, no, God, you're like the elf on the shelf. Like you're like out of sight, out of mind until I need you. And then I'll come find you. Just you, you chill over there. I'll do me. And uh, I'll come to you. Last resort. And I think we actually set ourselves up for God to say, well, then that's how I'll interact with you. Like you look through the book of Judges, this happens over and over and over again, where, where people say to God, God, you're not our priority. He's like, cool, I'll just back out then. And his backing out results in terrible things. Like, like terrible things. Life turns out not the way they want it, and then they go, God, save us. And sure enough, he's, he's so present. He's like, okay, cool. I'll come in. I'll save you. I'll set you free. And like, cool, now that we're free, ah, just find a little restrictive, like the discipline thing. So if you could, just give us some space. And go, cool. Back. So like we set, how crazy, we set the way that God will interact with us. And there's some of us locked into this mode of procrastination, always putting off the inevitable, always putting off action, and then wondering like, why aren't more amazing things happening in the world today? Why? Because we put everything off till tomorrow. We're living in tomorrow land. We're pushing things off to tomorrow. There are things to deal with today, and we're like, oh, frog's still manana. We'll deal with that tomorrow. I can put up with this issue, with this issue. Like, there's no time like tomorrow. I'm, I'm calling out procrastinators today. Last week, I think, kind of called out the people who can live in tomorrow land and live, live like worried about tomorrow and fretting about tomorrow and trying to borrow from tomorrow. But today, I think some of us, we call it being present, but we're really just being negligent. We call it like, oh, man, just, you know, we'll deal with that thing tomorrow. I'm just living the moment, you know? Only live once. It's true. Meaning the decisions you make today carry so much value for tomorrow. And so if I could, I want to suggest just, just a few simple areas in our life that we can take some action today that will affect our tomorrow. Are you with me? And I'm only going to give you a few because if I gave too many, as procrastinators, we would tend perhaps to pick the easiest one on the list and be like, oh, I'll do that. Good. Don't have to get to the other one. So I just want to give you a few. Is that cool with everybody? Just a few simple things that on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, you can think about these things and go, am I going to put this off? Or am I going to be ridiculously present and deal with what I need to deal with today? Number one, today is about serving. Today's the best day to serve. Today's the best day to serve the purposes of God. Today's the best day to prioritize the, the, the heart of God in the way we interact with one another. Today's the best day. In John chapter 9 and verse 5, Jesus heals a blind man, and, and the disciples go, hey, Jesus, why was he blind? Like, did his parents sin? Is God judging him? Like, tell us the story. And Jesus goes, oh, no. Yeah, that's not what this is about. 
Like, like I just healed him. We should be thinking about the healing part. Why are you trying to psychoanalyze his problem? I'm his solution. And, and then he makes this statement in, in John chapter 9 and verse 5. He, he says that as long as it's daytime, I got to do what I've been sent to do because the night is coming when no one can do the work. And I think the same is true for, for you and I. As long as it's today, there's some things for us to do. Like, like sharing your story is a today thing. You're like, oh, but I haven't finished it. Like, I haven't finished my story. I still got chapters to this story. And so far, I don't have the happily ever after moment that would make the story more significant. Guess what? Sharing your story now could be life-giving to someone else. Today's the best day. It's the best day to serve. You're like, oh, I'm just a little too busy, but when I have more time, I'm going to serve people. When I have more time, I'm going to prioritize God. Like, like, the night is coming. There will come an end to your opportunity. I don't know about you, but I believe that, that we get one shot at this. Like, like, we've been given one shot at this beautiful thing called life. And somehow, we've found ourselves maybe focused on all the wrong things. And days are turning into weeks, are turning into months, are turning into years, maybe turning into decades where we're thinking one day, oh, I'm telling you, one day I'm going to start really getting this relationship with God thing right. And here the Bible's saying, no, no, serving, that's a today thing. Like, like put into action today what you know to do. And for some, like, but I wouldn't know where to start. Well, guess what? Then today's the best day to start getting into the Word of God. It's the greatest day to get around some Christian community and begin to sharpen one another and, and, and challenge one another to do the things we've been called to do. Yeah, oh, my gifting, it's just not perfect yet. You know, I haven't figured out all, all the kinks yet, and so I, I'm, not, I'm not flawless yet, as if any of us are. Today's the best day to serve. For someone in a really practical way, you've been thinking to yourself that at some point I'm going to feel more confident about myself and I'm going to be so awesome that then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself available to serve. No, no, today's the best day. Like, get involved today. Get involved in church today. Get involved in living out your gifting today. Get involved in, in, in developing your character today. Today's the greatest day to serve. Are you with me? Number two, really simple thought. Today's a, about serving, yes. Today is also about sewing. Can someone say sewing? I'm not talking about fabric and thread. Today is a great day for planting seed. It is a great day for doing little things that result in big things later. Today's the best day for sowing. The Bible here doesn't say, uh, you know, about sowing cucumbers only or, you know, this is about sowing spelt. It's like sow some seed. Put some seed in the ground. Let me show you. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 4. This is why I challenge people to take notes because some of you are like, that word is a word I've never heard before. I wouldn't even know where to find it. Jot it down phonetically. Find it later, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 4 says this. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, and whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Oh, my goodness, what a beautiful picture. Like, if you are waiting for the environment to feel perfect in order to start doing little things, you will never begin to do the little things that lead to big results. It just will never happen. It's like a person like, yeah, I want to, I want to reap the result of a, being a person of integrity, but <laughs> wind's just not blowing that way right now. Because the place I work, everyone cheats. Everyone cheats the system. Like, I'm not going to be that person who's like stays till the end of the workday. Everyone leaves early. And so, you know, 
Oh, yeah, the wind's just not blowing that way right now. The Bible says if you're going to watch the wind and wait for perfect environment, you'll just never plant. You will always be scared that there's a better time or a better place. Start putting some seed in the ground. You're like, what is seed? Seed is little actions that lead to big results. Seed is the little things now that, that lead to big results later. It's making wise decisions with your finance now. You're like, Why make wise decisions now? I hardly have any. Like, I hardly have any money. Why would I do that now? The wind will blow, and with it will come a whole bunch of resource, and then, oh, my goodness, the wisdom that I will have. No, it's not how it works. Make small decisions now. You're like, I'm not married yet. Why would I work on, on developing, like, selfless character? Well, well, if you really think you're going to love that future wife or husband, I'm telling you, work on it now. You've got a lot of work to do. And all the wives and husbands in the room said amen. Like, like, don't you wish that your spouse had worked on it a little harder earlier? See, see, there are little seeds to plant now that will result in big things later. Big things later. You're like, you know what? I, I don't really have, like, the friend group I want right now. Like, if I had the people in my life that I want to do life with, then I, and, and so you, you choose to not be friendly because you don't have friends? Come on. Put some seed in the ground. Like, do the little things now. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, it says this, don't grow weary in doing good because at the right time, you'll receive a harvest if you don't give up. In other words, don't look for circumstances to make it easy for you to start sowing. You got seed in your hand, do something with it. You say, but I hardly have any seed. Well, do something with what you have. I hardly have any time. Do something with the time you do have. I hardly have any resource. Do something with the resource you do have. Start putting seeds in the ground. And I promise you, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. But don't wait for the environment to to force you into planting. It just never happens that way. Today's a great day for serving, but it's also a great day for sowing. And I think sowing often is done in private. It's often done in the little things. It's often done in the small character things. You're like, well, I'm not a homeowner, so why would I treat the house I'm living in well now? It's not even my house. I'm just a renter. Well, guess what? Start putting some seeds into the way you care for what you have. And the Bible says if you can be entrusted with small, you'll have big, right? You're like, oh, I don't even, like I don't own a car, but then someone lends you their car, put some gas in their car, wash their car for them, and bring it back better than you found it. Well, why? It's a seed. It's a seed that says, I value things. God, I don't miss moments. And later on, you can trust me with something bigger because I'm going to take care of something small. When you can get away with something in private, when you can get away laughing and at someone else's expense in private, and, and it would be acceptable, plant a seed then of saying, I'm going to honor someone who's not even in this room. That's going to reap a reward where people will start to say, that's an honorable person. They show honor even when it's not normal to show honor. They extend grace even when it's not normal to extend grace. Why? They're planting seed instead of waiting for the wind to, to shift or, or change. Number three, here we go. If I got too, too much into this, you're just going to pick one easy one and not do the rest. I know how us procrastinators can work. Number three, today... It's not only a great day for serving. It's not only a great day for sowing, but it's also a great day for softness. It's a great day to be softened. Today's a great day to, to be soft. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, if you would. In fact, I want to challenge you to read Hebrews chapter 3 this week. Hebrews chapter 3, what a great, a great thought is carried in here. It says this in, in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 3. It says, Today, 
if you hear my words, don't harden your hearts. Like today, if you're hearing God, don't harden your heart. What would hardening your heart be? It would be not responding to what God is saying. Today, if you hear God speaking, do it. If you hear God talking, act. Live it out. Don't harden your heart. See, like I believe this, that every time we enter the presence of God, our heart changes. It either gets softer or it gets harder. It either gets stronger or, or, or gets more, more set in its ways. It either gets more responsive to God or it gets more uh, tied into and inundated with self. The heart is always changed in the presence of God. And Hebrews 3.15 says, today if you can hear me, don't harden your heart. And, and then in Hebrews 3.13 it says this, it is our job to encourage one another as long as it's called today so that none of us are deceived by a hardening of heart that comes with sin. That means this, Sam, it's my job to encourage you to do what God's put on your heart to do. And in your softness, you're like, hey, I feel like God's doing this in my life and he's calling me to do this. It is now our job collectively to keep your heart soft. And tomorrow where you're like, no, I don't feel like it. It's our job to soften your heart. We'll encourage you. We're like, we'll spur you on. We'll do whatever it takes to try to help you not get a hard heart. I want to live with such a soft heart that it's not just about my own heart. It's about the hearts of the people around me. Are you with me? That, that we are all called to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. And if we hear it today, don't harden your heart. Do it. And, and, and maybe you say, well, I don't know. God's not really speaking to me about anything. Guess what? He is. He said today is your day to encourage people. If you have nothing else on your to-do list or your agenda in your relationship with God, this you do have. Encourage somebody today. Find somebody encourage someone today. If we live encouraged, we get softer and softer to the, the things of God. Oh, that should get you excited. Come on, if you believe it, why don't you take three seconds and make a little bit of noise. Like God has a purpose for your life. He has a call for your life. We are all called to be encouragers. You say, I don't know what God's got for me in this season. Encourage someone. It'll keep your heart soft. It'll keep their heart soft. Today's the best day for softness. And lastly, number four. You go, lastly, there's nothing else. Sure, there'd be a whole bunch of other ones. I just chose these four. Lastly, today is about salvation. Today is the best day for salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 1 and 2, it says that we're co-laborers with God and we're urging you, be saved. Today's the best day for salvation. Like my, my understanding of the heart of God as it grows through life, I understand more and more the urgency with which God is calling people to be saved. Don't live in guilt anymore. Don't live in embarrassment anymore. Don't live in loneliness anymore. Don't live in self-sufficiency anymore. Don't live in, in, in distance from God anymore. Today's the best day to be saved. And there's so many people who are putting off getting their life on track with the Lord. Like, oh, I just got other things, but frogs till mañana, you know? Guilt till tomorrow. Shame till next week. Loneliness until next month or when the wind changes or when things change. Today's the best day to be saved. And not, I'm not only talking about salvation as a, a, a safety of your soul in the hands of God unto heaven. I believe that's the greatest part of salvation. But today's the best day to get safe, 
Today's the best day to walk out that salvation. It's the best day to get holy. It's the best day to be set free. It's the best day to step out of your addiction. It's the best day to, to get freedom from the thought processes that rob you. Today's the best day for salvation. And the Bible says this, if anyone calls out to the Lord, they'll be saved. Like God hears and he responds. Today's the best day to live a saved life. It's the best day to, to trade our sorrows and burdens for the freedom that comes in Jesus. And if we don't start here, like when would be a better time? I think the only lie would be this, that at some point in time I'll feel like I am a better person, and so when I approach God, I won't have to be as humble. <laughs> when I approach God, I'll be able to say, God, you know me. I've been working real hard at this. I just need a little top-up of grace. But the truth of the matter is this. We're desperately, hopelessly in need of a Savior. I need the Holy Spirit. If I'm going to live the life God has called me to live, I can't do it on my own. But today's the best day for salvation. It's the greatest day to call out on the name of the Lord. I don't know what kind of procrastinator you are. Anxious, fun, plenty of time, perfectionist, a combination of all of them. But there's this one little tool you can use. It's like practical tool, but we're going to actually do it here right now. Little tool you can use. Just make a commitment for five minutes. <sighs> I don't know. I got this task and I haven't even started and I'm putting it off. If you can make a decision to, to do it for five minutes, science would say most often then you follow through because it's the getting started that's hard. It's just the like getting that ball rolling that's really difficult. So you take five minutes and you make a commitment. I can focus for five minutes. Like I might get distracted by fun things later. Or I might, you know, get, get, get caught up in my anxiety later. But for the next five minutes, I'm focused. And most often, you'll begin that process to actually seeing it through. See, if that same is true, why don't we try that in these next five minutes? Why don't we take five minutes in just soft-hearted response to God? Five minutes in worship. Five minutes in prayer. End this service with the last five minutes just saying, God, this is not a ritual I go through. I'm not trying to appease you the way Egyptians were trying to appease the pantheon of gods. I actually believe you're real and you're here and you're present and you care and you have a plan for my future. My tomorrow is actually good because of the grace you have for me, but you are calling me to something today and I, I fix my focus and attention on you. Can we do that together? Wherever you are, would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.